today's message, turn to the book of Philippians. Turn to the book of Philippians. Now, I shared a little bit of Bible, um, you know, kind of memorization, uh, the, the order of the books of the Bible, and, and on Monday night, and it kind of blew some minds, you know, because that's what I do. I'm such a deep intellectual thinker. And, and once you hear this, you're going to laugh. Uh, but, you know, there's that Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, that kind of those epistles of Paul that kind of get jumbled sometimes in our head. If you want to remember the order of them, just remember this. Gentiles eat pork chops. Gentiles, Galatians, eat, Ephesians, pork, Philippians, chops, Colossians. You're welcome, right? So, so try to stay tuned for the rest of my message because I know that's just blown you away right there. But Philippians 3, we're going to read verse 13, and, and we're going to be kind of bouncing around a little bit in Scripture today, so, uh, so I encourage you to keep your Bibles open and be ready as we go through. Verse 13, chapter 3 of Philippians. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I've titled this message today, What Lies Behind? We've been dealing with forgiveness. We've looked at forgiveness of others pretty, pretty extensively. We looked last week at how God forgives us. And this week, we are going to move into the realm of forgiveness, of forgiving yourself. Forgiving others may be one of the most challenging things you have ever done. Amen? Like, is it difficult at times to forgive others? Yeah, it is. What may be even more challenging than forgiving others is forgiving yourself. Anybody struggle with that? Yeah. So this statement that Paul makes here in his letter to the church at Philippi, when he says, forgetting what lies behind, that absolutely blows my mind. How many of you struggle with forgetting your past? Many of you struggle with moving on from your past? of forgiving yourself for all of these things that I can look at, the times that I've hurt others, the times that I've said something that hurt someone that I didn't mean it, the, the times that I've said things that I've hurt someone that I did mean it. When I, my actions, my words, my deeds, any of these things, when I do these things and it causes pain or trauma or it hurts others or myself, that to me is not easily forgettable. And I look at this statement from the Apostle Paul, forgetting what lies behind. And don't write that off. Don't lose the significance of that statement as just a quip that Paul uses to transition in a point. Because without this, the point that he goes on to make of pressing on towards the goal for the prize of, uh, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus is not possible. So Paul is saying that I'm choosing to forget or I'm choosing not to remember. I'm choosing to put behind me everything that I've done. And this is a significant statement coming from the Apostle Paul. 
And here's a couple scriptures to tell us why this is a significant statement because Paul was not always the Apostle Paul. He was a Jewish rabbi. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader who persecuted the early church known as Saul. And if we back up just a little bit in this chapter 3, he begins to tell us of all of these things that lie behind him, what he's putting behind him, what he's choosing not to remember about his own life. In chapter 3, verse 4, we see him start, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's a resume, right? I mean, you walk into that, you're hired. And Paul's saying, this is who I was. This is what I did. My whole life dedicated to this, completely and totally sold out to this cause. So much so that in the book of Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it says, and Saul approved of his execution. This is talking about the stoning of Stephen where Saul was present. It says, and Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over them, but Saul was ravaging the church. Let that, let that sink in. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now listen, if we think of someone like this today, we would associate the word terrorist with them. Saul was terrorizing the early church. Saul was responsible for their imprisonment. He was responsible for their torture. He was responsible for their ultimate death and martyrdom. Paul was, or Saul was ravaging the church, and he was doing it with great pride. This is part of those things, forgetting what lies behind. If we look at the next passage, Acts chapter 26, verses 10 and 11, this is Paul now saying, "...and I did so in Jerusalem." I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them, often in all the synagogues, and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, my goodness, in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. These are some of the things that Paul is saying that I am forgetting what lies behind me. And why am I choosing not to remember? Why am I choosing to forget? Because without forgetting what lies behind, I will be limited as to what I can do in the future. In the midst of God's will... There is no room for you to be dragged down by your past sins, failures, and mistakes. 
That's good news. You can say amen. Because if we, if that were the case, none of us would be here this morning. Because we would all be drowning in our sin. We would all be drowning in our debts. We would all be drowning in our iniquities. But if we're trying to serve God at the same time holding on to our sinful past, then we are actually reducing the impact that the blood of Jesus has on our life. If you're living by not being willing to let go and forgetting your past and what lies behind, then you are saying to Jesus Christ that your death, burial, and resurrection are not powerful enough, were not good enough for me to live the way you want me to live. Forgetting what lies behind. We'll get to this here in a couple weeks, but do you want to know what maybe the main weapon your enemy uses against you? Accusation. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is the one who is constantly bringing up to you your past, bringing to your attention how you failed, all of those things you've fallen short on, the people that you've hurt, the mistakes you've made. He is the one that's responsible for that because he wants you to feel shame and guilt and be lost drowning in those two feelings. But the blood of Jesus Christ says, in this blood there is no guilt. In my sacrifice, there is no shame. In my resurrection, your past has been wiped clean. And if God chooses not to remember our sin, as the book of Hebrews chapter 8 tells us, if He chooses not to remember our sins, then what right do we have to remember our sins? Now listen, I'm not talking about casting them off and acting like they're of not, no significance. I believe that we need to learn from every mistake we make. I, need to, I believe that we need to grow closer into Christ-likeness and more into maturity in our relationship with Him with every sin that He forgives us for. I'm not saying that it's a sweep under the rug, act like it's not a big deal kind of thing. But we've got to understand that Jesus' blood is still more powerful than the sin in our lives. His blood is still more powerful than anything. The worst thing that you have ever done is nothing in comparison to the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I do feel like that I maybe should offer a little bit of a warning here this morning, and, and I kind of want us to look at Romans chapter 8, and I want us to look at a wrong perspective, because sometimes we have those, Right? We have wrong perspectives. Now, I hope I'm not going to burst too many bubbles, but I believe that the majority of the time we have a very wrong perspective on Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to to his purpose. This statement is a statement that Paul is making about our pasts. And yes, while it's true in the present tense, and while it will be true in the future, that yes, God will take things, bad things, 
things that he does not will, things that he does not desire, he can and will take those things and turn them for our good and his glory. That is a truth. But what the perspective is that I want to make sure that we're not falling into this morning is this passage does not give us permission to do things and think, oh, well, it really doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong because God will make it good anyhow. This doesn't open the door for us to live in greasy grace in our life. That this isn't taking accountability away from us. This isn't something that's saying that you do whatever you want to do, whether God desires it or not, and don't worry about it because he'll make all things work together for those you know, that love him. Or those that are called by his purposes. I believe, this is my personal opinion and my personal belief, I believe that at some point, if we get to the place that we're taking God out of the decision-making process, God will at some point just go, all right, go ahead, see how this works out. And I think that this is still building on this sin versus grace, this sin versus uh, you know, the, the blood of Jesus, this law and grace case that uh, Paul is making here as he's writing to the church at Rome. Because we see in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, that Paul kind of has to issue a clarifying statement here. Because all the way through the first five, verse, or five chapters, it's almost made it sound like we really need to sin. Because that's what helps grace operate in our life even more. And Paul's like, uh-oh. <laughs> May want to clarify that. But in Romans 6, 1, in the uh, very first part of 2, what shall we say then? Or do we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. See, the grace of God in your life is not a license for you to continue in sin. The grace of God in your life, my friends, my brothers and sisters, it is a very serious thing that we need to take very seriously. Because it's not just a entering into something flippantly going, oh well, if this isn't God's will for my life, or if this isn't what He wants anyhow, he's, His grace is sufficient. Don't, ve don't devalue His grace. Don't devalue His mercy. His grace, Him working things for good in your life, that's not to be entered into with a flippant attitude of I can, even if this is wrong, I can do it and God will still have grace on me. Now, praise God that He has that amazing grace for us. Amen? But we don't need to have that attitude and that viewpoint going forward like that. God takes sin seriously. Can we all agree on that? In a world, in a culture, where sin is being whitewashed, where truth is seemingly universal, God still takes sin and disobedience very seriously. And we will give an account for that. We will on the day that when we stand in front of Jesus Christ, and once again, let me reiterate this, we will all stand in front of Him to give an account for our lives. That's, that's going to happen. 
Unrepentant sin is not going to be treated lightly. Unrepentant sin has no place in the life of a Christian. How many of you in your lives have done something that looking back on it now, we, we won't make the accusation that you knew it was 100% wrong when you did it, but looking back on it now, how many of you have done something that you know was 100% wrong? Now, how many of you can sit here and testify that even though it was 100% wrong and not what God desired, that God still worked it for good? I'm standing here as a testimony to that fact today. I think that when we look at situations like this, because, I mean, that's really what, what hangs us up in our relationship with Christ sometimes, right? Like this unforgiveness, this bitterness, and we've talked a lot about unforgiveness and bitterness towards other people. That's definitely a hindrance in our life. But unforgiveness and bitterness towards ourself may be an even bigger issue. David, Bathsheba, Uriah, 2 Samuel chapter 11. I don't have time to read all of this this morning, but you know we all know of the forbidden story and the mistake of David and Bathsheba. Y'all take, take some time and read this story. Like, it is terrible. Like, terrible, terrible. And just kind of an overview of it, David wakes up from a nap. Thank you, Jesus, for naps. I'm hoping for one today. Don't know if it's going to happen. But David wakes up from a nap, walks out onto his balcony, looks across, and there is a beautiful woman bathing. David, being the king, who's that? I like her. Bring her to me. And he sleeps with her. She comes back a little bit later. Hey, we got a problem. I'm pregnant. So David's made a mistake. He kind of has to start doing a little digging now. Okay, who is this? Who? What's going on here? It's like, oh, that is Bathsheba. That is the wife of Uriah. He's in the army. And he's in your service. And he is now on the battlefield. David's like, oh, okay, all right, well, we can fix this. <laughs> you ever do that? He's like, oh, I've messed up. I can fix this. And then you go to explain it, and you're like, well, you see, what had happened was, um, no. So he goes, bring me Uriah. Bring him off the battlefield. Give him leave. Let him come home. Let him sleep with his wife. And then, then she can say, it's yours. The baby is yours. So Uriah comes, he has audience with the king. The king feeds him, David feeds him, and he says, tells Uriah, he's like, go ahead, go to your house, enjoy a couple days with your wife. And Uriah says, how could I? You see, the problem with it was is Uriah had a little bit of scruples to him, I guess. But he said, how could I go and enjoy the company of my wife while my fellow soldiers are still in the midst of battle. So he goes outside, sleeps on David's front porch, basically. Sleeps outside the door. And then David's servants come to him the next day. Lord, my king, we got a problem. 
Old dude didn't go home. So he brings him in again, feeds him again. Now go enjoy some time. How could I spend time in the company of my wife while my brothers are fighting a battle away from their families? So David's like, okay, I know I'm not going to get anywhere with this guy. Go ahead. Just go back. Here's what, and he goes to his servants. He's like, here's what I want you to do. Here's the command that I'm going to give you. Take Uriah back with the orders that he is to be put in the place of the most intense fighting right on the front line. And right as the battle is set to begin, have everyone else pull back. So they do. They get into the midst of the battle. Everyone pulls back. Uriah is killed. And not only was Uriah killed, there were other soldiers that were killed. You see, our cover-ups always affect more than just us. Problem solved. Like I'm telling you, this is a horrible... For David to be considered a man after God's own heart, this is terrible. And we kind of lose perspective of this. But Nathan, in the following chapter, after this is concluded, Nathan comes to him and calls him out on it. And says, David, the Lord knows what you did. He showed me what you did. And David becomes repentant. Do you know that it was like two years later that Nathan came? Like David had thought that he had gotten away with it for two years. You see, this is something that David did. I don't think any of us in here would say that any of these steps that I just told you about was what God wanted for his life. None of these were part of God's desires and his plans for King David's life. But here's the beautiful part about it. The last half of David's life, even after this, was far better than the first half. You see, God took all the mistakes, took all of these evil, wicked things that he did, and I really challenge you, find another story in the Bible that's full of more evilness and wickedness than what this story is. You've got adultery, you've got, you've got scheming, you've got cover-up, you've got murder, you've got innocent lives being taken. But God's like, I can still turn that for his good and my glory. Now, I want to be honest with you, and this is probably a good thing why I'm not God. I don't think I would, I don't think I would have done that for David. I don't think I would have been that merciful to him. Been like, all right. Here you go. But you know what? As I look back on my life, it's a good thing I'm not God too because I don't think I would have put up with the stuff that I've done. And I know some of y'all in here too. It's a good thing I'm not God. <laughs> See how many of you come back into my office now, huh? <laughs> I'm playing, playing. What are those areas? What's the areas in your life? That you're having difficulty letting go of. Because, I mean, if we look at Psalm 51, how many of you have read Psalm 51 in here? This is the account. This is the Psalm of David 
as he's dealing with this, in process of Nathan exposing his sin, and that's one of them where we see David cry out, renew in me. Renew in me. Create this new heart. Give me a new heart. Create in me a steadfast spirit. And we see this, and I urge you, read Psalm 51, because this is David's reaction to the Lord as he's being confronted with this situation. And my mind has to think, how do we react? What are the areas in our lives where we know that it's not what God would have desired for us, but yet we've done them anyhow? What are those things in your life that maybe you're doing right now that God does not desire. But trace that even further back as Paul says, what, forgetting what lies behind. You see, sometimes we find ourselves in a current place in life and we blame our failures and mistakes and our sins for landing us where we are. And that very well may be the case. But understand something that exactly where you are is exactly where God can take you and propel you into his destiny for you. Do you realize that by sitting here this morning, you have survived 100% of every difficult time in your life? It's like, today's not my birthday, but I set a new record for the amount of days lived in my life. By being here, God's grace and His mercy has gotten you through 100% of the difficult times in your life. And maybe, just maybe, where you're at is exactly where God needs you to be in this moment for your good, for His glory, and for the gospel to be proclaimed in your life. Remember last week we looked at what are we proclaiming. So think about that. Think about those events, that thing, that situation, that relationship, uh, those words, those actions that you feel like may have caused you to be in a dry place, in a wilderness situation, in the place that you are currently, that you're now looking back and going, if I had only not done that, if I had only not said that, if I would have just done this, then I wouldn't be here. Understand that where God has you right now, wherever you are, whether it's by His design, His will, or by your own mistakes, it's not more powerful than the blood of Jesus in your life. And I want to give you an example of this as I close this morning. I want to ask the praise team, if they would, to join me. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. This is Paul writing from prison. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my prison imprisonment. Verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. How could God work differently in your life today if your perspective shifted from being you thinking you're in a certain place as punishment from what you're doing wrong and moving to the place of, God, how can your gospel be proclaimed where I am? Instead of holding on to those past sins, those past failures, what lies behind me, blaming it for the blaming those for the situation I'm in, how about embracing the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, calling out, crying out for repentance and say, God, I'm here. Use me. God was glorified to the imperial guard that was watching over Paul. I believe that not being willing to put what lies behind us, the failures, the sins, can oftentimes, when we're unwilling to forgive ourselves of our mistakes and our sins, oftentimes can compromise the will of God in our lives far more than the unforgiveness of others. 